The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, Nathan begins with a simple story. There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat with his morsel, or it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. Now, if we could have the question and answer of the Heidelberg up here. Um, we are dealing with uh, our series in the Heidelberg, sometimes what we call a Lord's Day at a time, sometimes by a simple question and answer. The question and answer is very simple. The question is this, from where do you know your sins and misery? And let's say together, from the law of God, from the law of God. All right, that's your confession. We know our sin from the law of God. It's that very simple thing that we're going to be looking at this afternoon. I want to, at the very outset, um, I want to draw your attention um, back to the story. The story of David's adultery, uh, this adulterous affair with this woman, this beautiful young woman named Bathsheba, is one of the most, um, I think, well-known stories of the Old Testament. It certainly is a gripping story, isn't it? And it's a messy story, and it's a memorable story. Perhaps one of the most memorable lines of this whole story is where Nathan tells this story right, and David doesn't understand. He's the primary subject of the story, and at the very end, Nathan's like, yes, though you are. You are the man, David. You are the man who took this woman, basically from her husband, and you're the one who did it with her. You're the one who, as we would say today, had this affair with her. Although technically, maybe it's not really 
an affair. When we think of an affair, we think of kind of a secretive, ongoing relationship. This is more a crime of passion, really, right? And I think it's very easy for us when we, when we read these, what I would call them down and dirty stories that we find in the Bible. A lot of times when people first um, are coming to Christ and they start reading the Bible, I think they get a little shocked by what they read, especially in the Old Testament. We read about murder, we read about rape, we meet, read about incest, we read about you know, an adulterous situation here, and it's like, I didn't think I'd be reading about that in the Bible, but see, the Bible deals with reality in a realistic way. It doesn't sugarcoat things, and so too here. So David has this adulterous act with, with, with this woman that is, that is somewhat shocking and, 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 and memorable, and I think it's very easy for us as human beings to kind of go, well, kind of at least I've, I haven't done that, you know. And so what, what we kind of do is when, when we find these certain sins in the Bible, we, it's very easy for us a little bit to, I think, distances, distance ourselves from these things. I remember uh, dealing with a, a young man who came to our church um, back in Phoenix, I don't know, it was a, a couple of years ago, and um, typically what I do as a pastor that when we have visitors, I try to follow up with these visitors, say, you want to go out for coffee and so on? The guy said, sure. So the short story was we went out for coffee and we had this talk and I usually say, hey, tell me your story and I'll tell you my story. So we share these stories and he told me the story of how he grew up in unbelief, but he had become a Christian. But anyway, in the course of, of, of talking about our lives, I asked him the question, I said, did you, did, before you became a Christian, did you ever view yourself as a sinner? And he said, um, honestly, not really. It, when, when I think of the word sinner, I think it's for a lot of us. When I think of the word sinner, I think of like, down and dirty people. I think of serial killers. I think of murderers. I think of people involved in prostitution or adultery or those involved in armed robbery or things like that. But, but no, um, I viewed myself as falling into error and making mistakes, but I didn't view myself as a sinner. I think that's a very easy place to go, especially when you're not quite yet a Christian. That is, until we kind of smack up against the teaching of Jesus, where in in one of his sermons called the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember these words? He said, "If, if a person becomes angry in his heart against another person, He's committed murder in his heart. And if a man lusts upon a woman, or a woman lusts upon a man, he, she, has committed adultery in the heart. And all of a sudden, oh yeah, sin is more than just a violation of a standard. Sin is a matter of the heart. And who of us here this afternoon can say, oh, our hearts have been pure. I've never been angry. I've never lusted. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. What does the Bible say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and every one of us have have turned aside to our own way. So, yeah, we're in this we're in this business of sin together, aren't we? And let's not run away from that. Let's not make excuses. Let's not minimize it. Here at Pathway, what we do is we come face to face with reality and who we really are and how much we need Jesus. 
Now, I'm going to get back to the story in just a moment. I'm just going to touch on it for the sake of time because the sermon is a little bit shorter in the afternoon. But I want to give a few bullet points for clarity's sake, right, about, about sin. Ask yourself the question, what is sin? What is sin anyway? And when you look at the Bible, you see various Hebrew words, and you, hear, you see various Greek words, uh, the original languages of the Bible, having to do with sin. And when you look at those words, you see sin is unrighteousness. Sin is rebellion. Sin is, as one man once put it, disordered love. Where the Lord calls us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but sometimes our hearts are divided and we love on something else that grips us and which enslaves us. One word in the Bible, you maybe have heard this word before, harmartia, literally means miss the mark. So kids, think of it this way. Think of that you're in archery range and you get a bow and an arrow and let's say you got 20 arrows and you got a you got a target that's about, oh, let's say, 10 yards away, and it's got a bullseye about this big. And you're like, you know, you're doing this kind of thing. How many times do you think you're going to hit the bullseye? Once, maybe? Maybe twice? Are you going to hit it every time? No. When you think of the bullseye, think of the righteous requirements of God and how God demands from each and every one of us. And this is a shock to people coming to faith. It's like, God wants you to hit the bullseye every time. God wants perfect obedience. Right? Remember what Jesus says? My father's, um, uh, be, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. Be holy as I am holy. It's like, that's a problem. We're not hitting the bullseye every time. God's, God's standards are pretty high. Now, secondly, relatedly, a lot of people in the world today think that, that God grades on a curve. So if you don't hit the bullseye every time, it's not such a big deal because Lord knows, right, God is, God's loving and God's forgiving. And so, so if, if we don't hit the bullseye every time, God's like, well, okay, uh, try to do better next time, you know, to err is human after all. What are we supposed to think about that? Romans 3, can you put that up on, uh, let's take a look at that for just a moment. All right, listen to this from Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, the law of God, remember we come to know our sin through what we call the law of God. We know that whatever God's law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Now the thing is, what does it mean to be under the law? It means to be under the righteous requirements and the perfect requirements of God in his law, which is a reflection of his holy character. So we're all under the righteous requirements of God. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. We're all accountable to a holy God. We all know what he requires of us. The problem is, is that we can't do it. The Apostle Paul goes on to write, for by the works of the law, that is by by doing the deeds of the law, the requirements of the law, notice what he says, no human being will be justified in his sight. In other words, there's no human being in the face of the perfect requirements of God's law who is able to be justified in God's sight. That is, to be declared in right standing with him. Why is that? Because we're violating the law every time. 
That's a serious thing. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is, is, is a way of God saying, Here, here's my law, this is how I want you to live. We have laws in Canada. The laws are there so that we might know the laws, so that we can obey the laws. Right? Same thing with God's law. Right? But here's the thing. There's another purpose to the law, and that is this. God says, this is how I want you to live. But also, here's the purpose of the law. When you evaluate your life in light of that law, you're going to see that you're not going to be able to keep that, no matter how hard you try. And I don't grade on a curve. You need to be perfect as I am perfect. You need to be holy as I am holy. So the ultimate purpose of the law is to show us our sin so that we might be driven into the arms of Jesus Christ. That's the fundamental purpose of the law. Now, one other thing. There are various ways that we can know our sin. Okay? Um, I can know my sin by looking at people around me. When I read the news, I'm a news file. I'm always looking at the news every day. What's going on in the world? And I read about all the depravity of the world. And if I'm honest with myself, the depravity that I read in the news, I realize is my depravity because I'm a human being too. Another way that we can know our sin is on the basis of our conscience. You know what a conscience is? It's the moral barometer deep within us that tells us right from wrong. Even when you have kids, when kids are really small and you start raising them, they're two or three years old, they know, if they do something wrong, they know it. They know it. When my daughter was young, when she would do something wrong, she would hide underneath the kitchen table. And when I'd come into the kitchen, she'd be looking up at me, but she thought as long as she, couldn't see, she could see me, I couldn't see her. Right? Kids just have that understanding. The conscience bothers them. I'm going to go hide myself. That's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, right? As soon as they sinned against God, what were they doing? They're hiding from God, as if you can hide from God. But another way that we can know our sin is really two ways. Listen carefully to this, two ways. We come to know our sin by comparing ourselves not only to God's law, but to God himself. That can be a scary thing. Let me give you an example of that. If you could put up Isaiah chapter 6 now. Up there. Okay, Isaiah 6. This is a vision of the prophet Isaiah. And he says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. That's the only place in the Bible where the word seraphim is used. A seraphim is a six-winged angelic creature. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew and one called out to another and said, and this is what the angels are calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the very heart of holiness is separateness. God is separate from all that is creaturely, and he's separate from all that is humanly and sinful. For God has never sinned. He's perfect. And it's very interesting, the angels recognize that and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's only one attribute of God that is mentioned three times in a row. It's not love, 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 but it's holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, the most important thing is, notice Isaiah's response to a holy God. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, or as some translations have it, I am undone. Literally, I'm unraveling at the seams. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isn't it interesting? Isaiah sees a holy God. And once he comes face to face with a holy God, he, he, the only thing he can do is cry out, Woe is me! I'm, 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 I'm unraveling before this holy God. And then he confesses, I am an unclean man who lives among an unclean people. It's not until he sees a clean God that he realizes that he's unclean. It's not only when he comes and confronts himself with a holy God that he realizes just how unholy he is. When I work with people who are outside the Christian faith and who are starting to come to the Christian faith, one of the things I want them to recognize is not only who they are and to really come to grips with who they are, but what I want to do is I want to point them to God and say, You need to understand who God is. He's not what you probably think he is. God is a holy, holy God. And even the smallest of sins is a serious matter. And sometimes they get it. And sometimes they get pretty quiet. But that's the beginning of their conversion. Because then they're driven to Jesus. And that's, we'll get to that a little bit later on in this whole series on the, uh, on the, on the Heidelberg. Now, very quickly, and then I'm going to start drawing to a close. One other way, according to the catechism, but also according to the Bible, that we come to know our sin is not only evaluating ourselves in light of who God is, but according to God's law. That is his revealed will for our lives. Okay? Um, and that's why I want to bring you very quickly back to the story. Nathan tells the story to David and it's not, and, and, and David's doing this with his sin. He's suppressing it. He doesn't want to really deal with it. And it's not until there's an outside source that gets in the face of David. He says, you are the man. But it had to come from an outside source. It didn't come from David, but from an outside source, from Nathan. And then Nathan goes on to say, David, you have, why have you despised the word of the Lord? So, so he confronts David not only with his prophetic office, but he confronts David with, with the prophetic law of God, with the word of God. And it's only when David is confronted with that that he gives a simple confession, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. Here's the point. When you and I take time to compare ourselves with ourselves, we're usually, we're not too bad. But when we confront ourselves with the law of God and with the character of God, that's when we begin to see who we really are. It's like waking up in the morning, right? You get up in the morning like this, and then you sit on the, get up and you sit on the edge of the bed, and you kind of go like this, you know, rubbing your eyes a bit. Sometimes you think, you know what, I can just proceed on the day, put on my clothes and go to work. And then you go to the bathroom and you actually look what's in the mirror. 
Like, yeah, you know, right? Because you've got guys got roosters in their hairs and the women, who knows what's all going on. I don't even want to go there. But we look, we see ourselves in the mirror and like, that can be a frightening thing. That's the point of the law. To expose who we really are. To expose who we really are. So, brothers and sisters, you and I will never understand just how much we need Jesus until we understand how offensive our sin is before God and how how much we need to be forgiven. We may know our sin, we may hate ourselves for it, we may feel guilty and all of that, but we will really ultimately never know our need for Jesus until we understand just how serious our sin is to God and how much we are in need of forgiveness. The question is, do we understand this and are we willing to say with David, and his words are very simple. And again, in working with people coming to faith, this is what I'm waiting to hear them say with all of God's community. I have sinned against God. I am, I don't like to say it, but I am a sinner. Have you ever done that? You know, if we're willing to confess that, the Bible teaches us that Christ himself is always ready to receive us and wash us and put us on a new path. Let me tell you a truth that you can bank on and you can take home. Christ never pushes away a repentant sinner, ever, ever. But when we acknowledge who we are and acknowledge our sins and we come to Christ, it is a beautiful thing because there with Jesus and what he's done on the cross, there where we find forgiveness and there's there where we find the embraces of Christ. And of course, the whole intent of catechetical preaching is always to draw us time and time again to Jesus. And maybe that be the case for all of us here this afternoon, whether it be for the first time or the hundredth time, to draw near to Jesus so that together we can hold hands and we can say in our hearts with the song that we're about to sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see. Now I see. We're going to sing that in just a moment. Before we do, let's have a a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as a church at Pathway, we want to cherish the gospel. We want to cherish the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Oh, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the sweet gift of God is eternal life through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we go through this series on the Heidelberg, we pray that time and time again we would be driven into the arms of Christ in whom we find our only comfort in life and in death, both in body and soul. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.